Arsenal Therapy Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Arsenal Therapy Podcast. My name is Farhan, also known as Gunner since 96. And today is a very odd sort of episode. Um, there is no guest, there is no co-host, there is just me. And that is a quite a big change, a bit of a difference. Um, actually, when I was starting off the podcast, I think the first 10, 15, I did it all alone. So, um, yeah, good to be back. Good to, good to go back in time and to relive those those moments, um, those painful moments. And we have another one today. So I know how uh, difficult it can be during a loss to try and rationalize everything, try and think a little bit logically. But that's why we're here on this show. That's why we created this, so that we can try and make sense of all the madness. Um, if you can hear like loads of background noise, that is because I'm driving to work. Whoa. Now things really have taken a turn for the worst or into the weird and wonderful kind of world of podcasting. Um, the situation is that James is James was watching the game at the Emirates and he lives very far away so uh, he kind of made it a day trip for himself and you know obviously it's it's tiring to watch Arsenal lose but it's even more tiring when you've traveled so far um, God bless him man he put himself through 90 minutes of hell uh, watching a game where Arsenal were never really in it um, so yeah, that's why James is is uh, missing for this episode, but he will be back for the uh, show looking at the West Brom game, the Carabao Cup, um, and, and hopefully, you know, future shows after that. Uh, so strap yourself in. It's going to be a bit of a, a bit of an awkward one, a bit of a weird one, but hopefully we will get through it together. Right. There's going to be a lot of me talking. There's not going to be a lot of discussions. I'm going to try and imagine that um, you are having this conversation with me, which is going to be really difficult to gauge because I don't know what kind of views and opinions you have. But I want to give you mine, right? And I want to first make sense myself, make sense of it myself. Um but yeah, once again, I apologize for the background noise. It's just, I'm driving to work. It is 7 a.m. And I'm hoping to get this out on Monday because I want you, um, I want to give you guys the therapy that you need this morning. And I don't want to delay that any more than I have to. It's also my wedding anniversary today. So... I won't be able to record it or I don't want to record anything or do anything in the evening. I think my I owe it to my wife that she has a few hours, um, uninterrupted hours as well. Um, but look, let's get into this one. Let's talk about another Arsenal defeat, this time to the hands of Chelsea. Um, I think going into this game, many fans would have been optimistic but realistically preparing themselves for a defeat. That I think that's fair to say, and I think it is 
reasonable to have that kind of mindset um, because we know we know what we know where what the state of this club is and where we've been headed towards for a very long time and the the, the stark contrasting contrasting difference between the two clubs um, is almost like night and day you've got one who in the last I don't know I'd say 15 years has been on the steady decline has an owner a board um, a group of executives running or steering the ship into rough waters no clear plan uh, since Wenger left anyway I haven't been able to identify what the vision and the plan is um, now some might say it was to bring in a younger coach it was to try and bring in a youthful kind of energy something different to restart all over again a massive massive gamble that doesn't seem to be paying off at the minute that's not to say that things can't change things can but we're two games into the Premier League season. We've had a pre we've had a pretty torrid preseason as well. And the window hasn't been kind to us either. Now I know there are mitigating circumstances like uh COVID, which has sucked the blood pretty much out of Mikel Arteta and the squad, uh, with a number of players contra con contracting the virus, having to isolate having to look after themselves, missing training, being bed-bound. And that has a big impact on long-term planning. I mean, you know, we can we can all speak for ourselves with holidays being postponed and um, not really knowing what's around the corner. So you can only imagine what kind of strain that has on a football club. So I have some sympathy in that regards. But I can't seem to understand why a club like Chelsea Football Club, why clubs like Leicester City Football Club, even clubs like Brentford, who have just come up, they have got things in place to make sure that whatever happens, there is a plan B and there is something to fall back on. I just I just can't get my head around it. Why 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 are Arsenal Football Club special? Why is it that they can use this excuse? And I know Mikel said that he hates to use the excuse, but he did continue making the point that, you know, there are nine first team players missing. Um, we are having to put out a start in 11 that is truly unprecedented in the history of this club. I think that's quite an overstating uh, opinion. But ultimately... The fact of the matter is, we know who we are, and so do they. Chelsea Football Club are the champions of Europe and a title contending side, whereas Arsenal Football Club are a mediocre uh, mid-table side, staying, uh, trying very hard to stay relevant. These are the hard-hitting truths of the situation. Unfortunately. Now, having said that, let's discuss the start in 11. 
I always imagined that Chelsea would come out with a ridiculously good-looking starting eleven, followed by a really, really decent bench. Um, you have to say, when you're comparing both benches, again, you know, we... You can't... You, you know, eyebrows won't have been raised or, you know, there wouldn't be any surprises knowing the situation between the two clubs. One has spent so much money in the last two seasons um, and in the right way. And Arsenal, on the other hand, splashing the cash this season. But I'm finding it difficult to see where the improvements really are. In the first team, anyway, I see a centre-back and an attacking midfielder slash possibly a centre-mid. But no, no effort has been made to um, rectify the right-back decision. Sorry, the right-back position or the striker position because I, I do feel like we need the number nine desperately. We need the number nine that actually suits our system, suits our system. Um, we needed an upgrade on Shaka. We haven't got that. Um, well, and it's a shame really that you know, both centre-backs were out for this game. Uh, we heard that Ben White was going to be unavailable because he contracted COVID. So, with Holding and... Well, this is me really giving my reaction to, to the starting eleven. With Holding and Mari playing uh, as a centre-back partnership, it was always going to be difficult. It was always going to be a very, very, very long afternoon when you know they have uh, Lukaku, Havertz, Mount, not to mention Reese James as well, um, to, you know, keep an eye on and make sure that they've shored up their defensive line. So immediately for me, I couldn't really complain about holding and Mari because there's no one else. Gabriel's just come back to full training and Ben White is out. He's going to be out for the City game as well, according to Arteta. Um, on the right, we had Suarez, which was a little bit of a surprise, but it was it was kind of a pleasant surprise. Based on his performances last season, based on the you know the the final few performances that we saw of him, they were pretty good. They were pretty decent. I was fairly happy to see, to have seen him play, um, and the contributions that he was given in those games showed me enough to suggest that maybe this guy can be our num our, our, our number one right back. Um, so based on those facts, I wasn't too disappointed. I mean, I was a little bit surprised that Arteta decided to play Suarez when, um, you know, I don't think he has had much game time. I can't remember him playing in a preseason or featuring much anyway. So my gut instinct was that maybe he'll play um, Chambers in that position, maybe Bellerin. I mean, Chambers had an awful time against Brentford. Uh, but, he, you know, this might have been an opportunity for him to redeem redeem himself. The Bellerin situation continues to play out. I fully expect that he will be sold by the end of the window. But obviously we're yet to see. Um, I think the, the fact that he didn't show, he didn't play, um, just uh, further emphasizes that. So, yeah, Suarez for me, you know, promising. 
to see him at right back. And on the left back, of course, Kieran Tierney. Who else? Who else but Kieran Tierney? So um, the back four, you know, worrying, definitely concerning. But there's nothing we can do about it because uh, two centre-backs out still have the right-back situation. I don't think that Arsenal will um, deliver any, you know, solutions for that in this window. Maybe in January, but if they're to spend any more money, they're going to need to sell. And they're going to need to sell fast. They've got a number of players on their books that need to be offloaded. Um... But the, the most difficult task about doing that is finding clubs that are willing to buy, to spend very precious pounds um, that most clubs don't actually have and are using loans to, to make their recruitment. But they need to, yeah, so Arsenal need to depend on clubs to spend money on players that, that haven't really proved their worth. Um, anyway, moving on to the to the midfield, we had Granit Xhaka and um, Sambi Albert Albert Sambi Lakonga. Fairly happy with that as well. I mean, there wasn't anybody else. We know that Odegaard couldn't feature because he his work permit didn't come in time. So, other than El Nini, who else? Party still out injured, um, and again, Arsenal failing to really add depth in that area. Had they done so, then maybe this wouldn't be such an issue. Thank God for Lakonga, who for me was, you know, our best player by a long shot um, yesterday. I think he was excellent in all areas of the pitch. And he he adds so much um he adds so much quality in that midfield. And I, now I don't know if that's because we've been starved of the right sort of quality that you need uh, in a midfield partnership in order in the midfield sorry in order to to be successful in the Premier League um, all that he's a real deal but you know we'll find out fairly soon but he does seem like a gem he does seem like a really good buy for Arsenal so that's a positive uh, anyway Granit Xhaka and, and, and Lukonga were going to have a very very important afternoon it was really the keys to unlocking Chelsea and to stopping them and making sure that um, we were A not allowing them to come into the final third and B pick the ball up and get it on the other side of the pitch as quickly as possible so the centre mid um, especially the, the the system that Chelsea were playing, it was yeah they had a very very important role to play in that game, and the most exciting part for the starting the start as as starting eleven goes, um, we had Emil Smith Rowe playing as a number ten, Saka playing on the left, Pepe playing on the right, and Martinelli playing down the middle. Um, those four, for me, are the future of Arsenal Football Club. So whenever they feature, it's always going to be an exciting prospect. It's always going to be something to look forward to. We know the quality that all of these players have. The question still remains, though, 
whether they are all ready for the big time. Um, I think uh, only a couple of them are. I think this will be a very, very important season for Pepe. This will be the season that shows us whether he's the real deal or not. Um, Saka and Emil Smith-Rowe, I believe, are ready. And the jury's still out. Or undecided, sorry. Uh, on Martinelli. And I feel sorry for him because I think he's been forced into a situation now where... You know, the club have no no choice but to either play him or Balogun. There isn't Ketier as well. So actually there are a few options, but the best one is probably to go with Martinelli going down the middle. Um, but I've always been very, very... I've always protected Martinelli quite a lot on this show and whenever I discuss about him because I think with someone, a kid with so much talent, so much ability... Uh, needs to be given the right developmental route. I think he's on the verge of having a breakout season, but the club need to the club need to, to to treat the situation very carefully. I think before they move him as a centre forward, they should allow him to get comfortable and fully develop as a winger. Uh, and I don't think he's done that yet, but I think he's close. I think he's close to doing that. Um, so anyway, that's my that's my reaction uh, and my feelings of the starting eleven, the lineup. Um, let's talk about the game. So, first game of the season at the Emirates. First time we're seeing a sellout crowd. I have to say the atmosphere was great, electric. Um, obviously, being a Lon London derby, both fans, both sets of fans were up for it. They really were. Um, credit to the Chelsea fans as well who made their voices heard. Um, but, you know, you, you could tell this, this, was, this was like a party atmosphere. It was going to be a very good occasion for the people that were there. Little did they know. Anyway, um, so... It, it didn't take very long before we had our first attempt on goal. Uh, there was some beautiful football being played between Sambi and Shaka and Smith Rowe. Um, I was I was pleasantly surprised how quick they came they came out of the blocks, and the intent was clear. You know, play with high intensity, play with high energy, pressurize Chelsea on the ball and win it in the middle. And we did that, especially in the opening 10 minutes. Shaka and Sambi had a very, very good, bright start to the game. Um, and, you know, again, it was clear that whenever we were gonna create goal scoring opportunities, it was gonna come down, it was gonna come in, the, uh, it was gonna come through the flanks. Um, one of the most frustrating things about this game was that Arsenal were generating opportunities, but they were just one-dimensional and they were always going down the flanks. Um, but nevertheless, you know, as 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 the first ten minute goes, very very good intensity, playing without the ball, very smart, um, and. 
resourceful. But I don't know whether that was working in our favour. I mean, it's, it only works in your favour if you're creating real goal-scoring opportunities. And I think the problem was, um, and we noticed this at Brentford as well, starting bright is great, um, but you need to start with a real intent and purpose in mind. You need to shock the opposition. Um, and we've, I think we failed to do that. I think that's the, that's sort of the next stage for Arsenal. Starting bright, but shocking the opposition with a, a good attempt on goal, maybe. Trying to force the opposition to sit back a little bit and to retreat. And Chelsea kind of did that. But the problem was the quality in their squad in comparison to the quality was ours, with ours, sorry, was far more superior. And so they could afford to be patient, to sit back, relax. We're playing Arsenal Football Club here. You're not playing a City or a Liverpool. So they, they didn't need to panic. And they would have been coached all day long during the week of Arsenal's tactical approach to scoring goals, which is going down the flanks. They played five at the back. Well, three centre-backs and two wing-backs. They had plenty of bodies there to make sure that if balls were coming into the box, three centre-backs are there. Um, and they'd only be defending, really, against Martinelli. And if Pepe decided to, to, to get in the box as well. Um, so, credit to Chelsea for, for, for playing with so much patience. Um, and after after the ten minutes, it started to open up a little bit. But I think I think what was most disappointing was how soon we conceded the goal. I think we conceded in the kind of fifteenth minute of the game um, before the goal there were very bright there were very bright signs that we were um, we were coming close to sort of creating a real goal scoring opportunity and that Arsenal were almost dictating the tempo of the game and dictating possession it, it was a it was a case that you know and 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 as football matches goes you you have periods of the game that you dominate and there'll be periods of the game where you have to sit back and this was one of those periods of the game in the first sort of 15 minutes before we conceded that Arsenal were dominating um, and so you hope that when one is dominating one takes the opportunity to score a goal and to you know really release the hounds really open the game up. Um, and the cent uh, I think uh, when when Chelsea did have the ball, because they did have the ball in, the, in that first opening 15 minutes, um, they were dangerous going forward, but the defensive line was also aware of that and they were fairly good with their structure 
um, especially Shaka and Sambi as well, who in the middle, their role was to pick up the ball and to, you know, pose a counter-attacking threat. Um, and that is, that was really the best way for us to pose a threat going forward. That's where we looked strongest. Um, but it was too easy for them. The first goal was way, way too easy and it exposed every bit of weakness that we had uh, in our back foot, in our in our defensive line, in our defensive shape. Um, you could see early on that Lukaku was going to be a handful and that Holding and Mari were doubling up on him to make sure that he had no space to uh, pick up the ball, turn and run. Because that's his specialty. He loves to do that all day long. I remember watching him play in Milan. Uh, not sure, I forgot who the team was, but he ended up scoring, I think, two on the night. Um could have scored a hat-trick but he gave his penalty away to somebody else and the guy is electric like as well as being a big physical physically like dominant uh, human being he was also lightning fast really sharp on the turn and it's very rare to find players of that physique to have those kind of qualities so I guess it's understandable why um, Mari and Holding were doubling up on him and trying to isolate him out of the game. And it seemed to be working at that point. But in order to be successful as a defensive shape, as a, as a defensive unit, in order to be successful, you need to work together. It's Leno's responsibility to make sure that the shape is right. Um... But also, it is every individual players, Tierney, Cedric Suarez included, to make sure that they are in a well-knit, organised line. And so what happened in this move, where Reese James was found out wide far too easily, um, it was a, a bit of genius, real intelligence from Lukaku, who dragged Mari and Holding alongside with him because I'm sure he knew that Arsenal were doubling up on him and so the best way for him to, to make the most out of that situation is to get others involved around him. So what he did was he said, all right, boys, I see what you're doing. I'm going to um, get you boys to come alongside me and I'm going to disrupt your shape. And so that's what he did. He dragged Mari and Holding with him down the flank the defensive line fell diagonal there was a massive gap a massive pot of space for James to run into uh round the round the uh the right hand side where Tierney was supposed to be covering um and questions have to be asked after this game about Tierney's defensive abilities you know not to say that he can't defend he can but there are gaps in his game and they were quite prominent to see yesterday because both of the goals that we conceded came down that right hand side and came from naive defending that's how I would describe it really naive there is no excuse you cannot leave that much space for someone to run into and so when I watch this goal back it just it fills me up with real like 
frustration because it's so because Chelsea didn't have to work so hard for that goal it was too easy for them a ball over the top a ball across the face of goal and then to make things worse if you're doubling up on Lukaku make sure that he doesn't beat you on the turn and Pablo Mari does that unfortunately I don't know whether it's a case of Lukaku just being too strong for him too dominant but when at the moment Lukaku turns and runs, uh, Mari is beaten and 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 he's you know kind of flops onto the floor and you know my thoughts are as a centre back you should not be out muscled by a centre forward. It's your job to make sure that you are the you're the last line of defence. So it's your job to make sure that you are physically more dominant than him. I can't imagine seeing Virgil Van Dijk being beaten by Lukaku I just can't and that's a problem at Arsenal right now you don't have physically dominant bodies in defence um, so that was that was another issue being beaten and then obviously you know the rest is history uh, it's a ball across the face of goal and pretty much you know a very simple finish for Lukaku so um, we're 1-0 down after 15 minutes the tempo of the game doesn't really change after that but it's quite a big mountain to climb when you're 1-0 down so early on and I was just thinking to myself well how many more um, if, if Chelsea can make it look this easy if they can score a goal without needing to play too well then how how bad is it going to be? Um, but yeah, like I said, despite the goal, we were looking fairly confident anyway. We picked up the ball. We played it in the final third. Um, you know, the, the fo- I have to say the football, the passing and the movement and just a general... Um, this is general football was quite good. I didn't once question Arsenal's ability to ping the ball around, to get it from right to left, to move the ball in a meaningful kind of way. I admired the kind of football that they actually played. It was good. It was fun. It was not fun. It was satisfying to watch. Um, And I think the same could be said about Brentford as well but but the the main issue was getting into the final third and I've said this time and time again I'm sounding like a broken record record the problem was that as soon as they entered that final third there is no inventiveness there is no I mean again poor poor Martinelli but what's he meant to do I'm sure I don't know whether he's learnt the role of a centre forward so how is he meant to know when to turn or, or what what kind of runs to make or what kind of positioning to start off his runs with um, no inventiveness in the final third to try and get the ball into the feet of Martinelli and the centre backs Chelsea's centre backs were far too aware of what was happening um, Rudiger, Christiansen, Aspilicueta, all too intelligent. They have too much experience to be making silly little naive mistakes that Arsenal are capable of making. Um, so yeah, regarding the immediate aftermath of the goal, it was a good response. Um, but you could see, you could see that Chelsea were happy once again to just sit back 
soak up whatever pressure Arsenal were going to throw at them and then cause an opening when they when they uh, got the ball. It never it never occurred to me that this was a big game for them. Um, it almost occurred to, it, it was almost like a routine victory. Sorry, a routine game. Um so anyway, let's talk about the sort of following the the remainder of the game before we conceded the second goal because the second goal did come. Um, Chelsea were very good to exploit the right-hand side. Chelsea were very good to exploit that right-hand side. Um, and I felt like the... I, I, I felt like the more space we allowed them to run into, um, the more likely that they would score another one from there. And there were there were a few uh, opportunities for Chelsea to score a goal from that right hand side. Um, they did take the second one, but before that, I think there was another one where um, James was just being being allowed to walk into for free. Um, There was um, an opportunity from Lokonga, a long-range effort, and I think before that I can't I can't remember Arsenal trying to have a shot on goal any time before that. So the des- the desperation behind that shot, I guess, you know, tells us the story of Arsenal. Arsenal's goal-scoring uh, record and stats in that game. I'm not actually sure what the stats are. I should probably pull them up just to have a look to see. I'm, I, I really hate to, you know, be the guy that pulls out stats and uh, tries to, tries to use them as a as a way to tell the story. But um, Arsenal in that game, if you just bear with me. Arsenal in that game had six shots, um, three on target. Chelsea had 22, five on target. They completely dominated the game. They had 65% uh, possession. So I guess that shot from Lokonga, Long range, long range effort. Um, you know, one of those shots go that go in every sort of five out of ten, fifty percent chance. But he was the only one for me, showing the desire to get the ball and to have a go because no one else, and that's the problem. No one else has the cojones. No one else had the balls to create goal-scoring opportunities through any other avenue if it wasn't going down the flanks, you know? And so credit to the to the kid um, for doing that. And, yeah, just before, uh, the sec- just before the second goal, we also saw Pablo Mari picking up a yellow card, a really bizarre yellow card as well. Um slides in behind slides in from behind to foul Lukaku and just clear signs of frustration and it was just like you need to compose yourself as a centre-back you need to really you need to really maintain 
um, some level of, well, composure, I guess is the right word, isn't it? As a centre-back. So, um, <clears throat> so uh, that it was bizarre and it showed signs of weakness. Um, but it was, you know, very soon after that, we witnessed the second goal. And again, it was just pure, naive defending. Uh, Chelsea deserved it. They deserved to be 2-0 up. And, you know, that was really the, the final nail in the coffin. Um, I couldn't I couldn't see Arsenal coming back from that. The problem, the first problem I have, I have with this goal is that the gap between the two centre-backs are too big. Way too big. And so when... And so when, when the gap's when the gap's that big, your defensive shape is is yeah, it's pretty it's it, it's difficult it's difficult to um fix and it's difficult to get everyone back in shape. Especially when the football is being played at hundred miles an hour. And in, in that final third, Chelsea are very, very clinical. Um and once again, you know, Lukaku being at the centre of it, picking up the ball. I forgot who it was, what the passage of play was, but um, I know that there were a few players involved. I think Mount was involved as well. And it was, again, you know, something that Arsenal lacked, which was inventiveness, which was thinking on your feet, quick, sharp, passing it around. And all of a sudden, um, James was in, in the back post, in on the back post. You have to, questions have to be asked about why... Tierney is allowing so much space on that right-hand side, whether it is because everyone else is shifting and he has to because he doesn't want to create gaps um, like the two centre-backs did. Also, who who's covering him? If it's on that left-hand side, then uh, I think Saka, that needs to be tracking back, that needs to be covering that space. But there's just no, there's no one there. And we're punished for it. They score a second goal and Arsenal are 2-0 down in that first half. And that's it, really. That That is the story of the game. As as the game continues to play out, as the, as the, sec, as the second half continues to play out, um, sorry, as the first half continues to sort of play out and, and come to a conclusion, that's it. You know, there isn't, uh, there isn't really anything that I can remember or... Um, refer to to say that Arsenal were close. I mean, there was there was the 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 penalty incident. Uh, I'm not sure whether that was in the first. Yeah, it was it was late on in that first half, and Arsenal appealing for a penalty. Um, I mean, I I don't know. I I, I don't know what the rules are anymore. To be honest, uh, I I don't know whether you know a soft penalty counts or it doesn't count or whether. Bakayo Saka knew what he was doing and he fell over. Um, what I can say is that the images and the footage clearly shows... Who was it? Um, oh, God, I can't remember who it was now. James. Uh, it clearly shows Reese James put his leg in front of Saka's. Clips him. It's clear. 
It's as clear as day. So I can't for the life of me understand why VAR hasn't picked up. Once again, I don't want to be the guy that depends on VAR decisions to, to, to allow us to get into games, to get back into games, because we don't, we shouldn't need to look, we shouldn't need to depend on VAR to win football matches or to get anything out of them. Um, but that penalty decision for me was a joke. And again, it's just, just a final nail in the coffin. Um, but yeah, I think uh, as as far as the first half goes, that was pretty much it. And I mean, the, the, to make things worse, just before actually the final, the, the the first half whistle goes, um, holding again another centre back who should be maintaining his composure, who should be you know getting everyone on the same him him sheet, uh, stupidly slides into. Um, Again, I forget who it is, but I know that Rudiger wasn't too happy with it. Came and uh, had a word, uh, well, a bit more than a word, but slides in, two-footed, studs up in the air, and, you know, just a moment of madness. That could have been really, really dangerous. And I know a lot of people are saying, oh, well, he didn't touch him. Uh, you know, it wasn't all that dangerous. I'm sorry, but had contact been made, and if it was any other day, then that could have been awfully dangerous. And I'm, as a fan base who's witnessed, you know, Ramsey and Eduardo, we shouldn't be uh, accepting kind of behavior like that. People that were saying that, um, you know, th that's good. You know, we should be seeing some grit, some aggression. Grit and aggression is something, but that is just, you know, irresponsible in my opinion. Um, and I couldn't help but just think back to the days of Kashelny and Mertesacker and the good days where we used to complain, but we didn't really know what we had. Kashelny and Mertesacker for me were probably the last two competent centre-backs at the club um, hopefully with Gabriel and Holding we can see you know a different element and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that you know they can bring back some um, dignity to our centre-back to our defending anyway uh, second half starts really quite surprised how quickly Chelsea come out of the blocks they start really they start really bright um, you know at what at, at, at one moment, I think in, the, in almost like the first 30 seconds, um, Chelsea get the ball in the final third. It seems like they're very close to getting in behind and it could be a third goal. And it's just so lousy and so slow and sluggish from Arsenal. Too casual, way too casual. Um, and uh, I got the impression that the boys were still quite shocked. I don't know what Mikel Arteta said to them in, 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 in the dressing room at halftime. I cannot wait to see this Amazon documentary. I, ca I cannot wait to see it. But what I will say is they came out and they didn't look very confident of themselves. They didn't look like um, they, were, they wanted to have a real go. Um, it was a little bit more flat in the second half than the first. The football was still okay. And I agree with Arteta, Arteta to some extent that the boys never actually gave up because they didn't. But elements of their play 
I mean, I remember a moment late on in the game where Emil Smith Rowe lost the ball, and you know he kind of like slumped a little bit. Where he he had the ball, he was doing some uh, trying to trying to pass his man. He couldn't, lost the ball. He had to track back again, and you could just tell that you know he wanted to just you know leave, just leave the pitch. Um, but I don't think, based on that game, based on the last two games, I don't think that the 4 2 3 one is working anymore. And I think it's, it's, it's finally time to revert back to the back five. He was asked about this after the game. Did he, did he contemplate it? Did he um, consider it? And he said all options were considered and he decided to go for the 4 2 3 one um, But that is not working because there is no cutting edge to the 4-2-3-1. We don't have the right personnel. And by the right personnel, I'm talking about the, the right number nine. Um, so that was quite clear for me to see in that first half. But look, in the first 10 minutes, Chelsea started that half off really, really well. Um, oh, you know, poor old Arsenal showing heart, showing desire, trying to press as vigorously as possible, but it's, it's just not working. Um, there was a good effort from Mason Mount, a long shot. Again, it was worth mentioning how influential Lukaku was um, to get those players involved. I think that would have been the message as well, to try and score the third goal as quickly as possible, but for Lukaku to try and get others around him involved because he was always going to be the target, target man that Arsenal were going to try and isolate. So when you have players like Mount um, and... I forget the other one on the other side, um, Havertz. When you have those two, it, it it is almost impossible to defend against, you know, because you need six defenders there to make sure that they're all isolated at the game. But sooner or later, um, Arteta does make the change. He brings off Saka for Bamiyang. I would have personally have liked to seen Martinelli come off at that point because I think that he was he was struggling. He was struggling to get into the game. And again, I felt really sorry for him. But the decision was made to take off Saka. Um, I kind of understood it some extent because obviously you know he hasn't played 90 minutes of football he hasn't had a proper pre-season yes he's had the Euros but we all know what happened at the Euros and um, I mean the less said about that the better um, so kind of understand why Saka was taken off um, very soon after that we had a uh, I think Holdings header was our first real goal scoring opportunity and it epitomises really how poor or how dire of a situation we have at Arsenal with our centre-backs, you know, when you're, when you're like five yards out, when the ball falls so perfectly to you, that needs to be in the back of the head, back of the net. Um, so although it was, you know, encouraging to see Arsenal creating a real opportunity on goal, it, it was it wasn't taken the opportunity wasn't taken number one and number two it came from a cross and there was really no other way um but there was an opportunity there was there was a moment in the game where we finally saw a different 
style of attacking play other than trying to feed the ball down the wing. Uh, Lekonga noticed Aubameyang running in behind, played a gorgeous ball in and Edouard Mendy came out of his line to, to, to make the clearance, came really quite far out. Um, so had Aubameyang beaten, because he had Aubameyang beat all the centre-backs, they, I don't think they were quite aware that Arsenal that Aubameyang was going to run down in between the lines um, but that's what we needed to do so it was promising to see that uh, there there wasn't you know it wasn't that uh, I don't know maybe maybe I'm being naive now but it seemed like the message wasn't to play it down the flanks the message was to try and get into the best position in order to create goal scoring opportunities and you know, depending on who who's playing number nine, because that that personnel dictates how you you feed the ball into them. If it's a Martinelli, you'd expect him to run in behind, but Martinelli is too young and too inexperienced to know when where to be and when to make the runs. And so when Abamian is there on his on a good day, he knows that's his trademark. You know, to to pick up the ball. Um, to either pick up the ball on the left-hand side, cut in and then have a shot or run in behind. And so when Sambi made that, um, when, when Sambi noticed that, it was really encouraging because that is something we could see in the future. Uh, anyway, 65 minute gone. Uh, Tavares also comes on. I think both Tavares and Aubameyang did make a difference. Aubameyang more so in sort of like 10, 15 minutes. And then kind of fizzled out. Uh, but Tavares coming on, or Tavaj coming on and looked 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 the real deal. Um, he was really energetic on and off the ball. Um, he added a, li- a, a bit of energy and a bit of spark. You know, there was like, it, it kind of, the momentum of the game shifted to Chelsea's side. And Arsenal looked really um, dead, really deflated. I felt quite I don't know I don't know if I felt sorry for them I think I, I in this game I'd say I felt sorry for Arsenal I felt sorry for Arsenal because they tried they tried to make the best out of a really crappy situation they played some pretty decent football at times um, it was just way too one dimensional in the final third though you know constantly going down the flanks uh, there was an opportunity for Emil Smith-Rowe at, at some point in that half, I think, where he could have had a shot and he didn't. He decided he, he, he made a really good darting run forward and he was kind of in a really good opportunity to have a shot um, and he didn't. He decided to push it out wide and I don't know. It, it didn't sit right with me. It didn't sit right for me for a couple of reasons. Number one, the mentality of these players, what they're being coached to do. And number two, what kind of impact these negative performances has on has on these have on these um, youngsters, the Sackers, the Mill Smith throws. If these results continue, it, you know, the, the form and the momentum is going to be really difficult to to change you know and they're still young they're still developing you don't want anything to happen to them permanently you need them to continue um, making strides forward and in order to do that you need to have 
you need to have wins. You need to win football matches and you need to have good performances. But when you're making decisions like that, um, it shows me that the players are lacking in confidence. Um, but I don't, I don't really know what else I've got to say for that second half. It was pretty much Chelsea on um, cruise control. There was no real concern about conceding a goal because, like I said, Arsenal were, again, way too focused on getting the ball out wide than trying to break Chelsea down as a defensive unit. And that's the key, really, to this game. One side who broke us down really well because their number nine was excellent in doing so and another side who were coached who have been coached to play football like this for a while now and other teams have caught on and in doing so they have prepared well in advance to play us so I'm going to see if there's anything else worth mentioning um, and truth be told there isn't Chelsea, Chelsea win that game 2-0. Fair and square. The only the only decision that went against us was the penalty decision, but I don't think that would have made a real difference in the grand grand scheme of things. There is a I, I remember a time where Chelsea versus Arsenal was one of those fixtures you would look at and think, right, you know, this is gonna be a big, big game. It could go anyway. Two sides, quite even, and, you know, quite a fiery London derby as well. But today, I think most fans were just hoping that we would get something out of this game and that we wouldn't humiliate ourselves too much. And I was kind of hoping for the outcome in the last 15, 20 minutes of that game, just, just to get a goal back just to get a single goal so that we kind of save face a little bit and at least we can focus on the fact that the deficit was reduced from two goals to one. And that's really sad. It's really sad to think of it like that because Arsenal Football Club should be competing at every single game, on every front, at every competition. And so what's happened to this club is almost a little bit irreversible. Um, and, and, you know, I tweeted this an hour before the game, a couple hours before the game. This game will either be another reality check or a reminder that this is a project that's going to take a little bit longer than usual. Um, and... I think we were reminded, I think we were given a, a, a big reality check that Arsenal are where they are because of how they've conducted their business in the last few years. Chelsea, it's, it's surprising to think that Arsenal have spent the most money in the window because I'm failing to see where the improvements are. And I get it, I get it because of the the COVID situation is taking a massive toll on us but it will have taken a toll on every other club and they seem to be doing their business really 
Well, if you look at Chelsea's squad today, and I get they spend a lot of money, and they do. I think their starting eleven and their bench combined are over half a billion in 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 value. Arsenal's on the other hand, I don't know if the starting eleven and the bench are two hundred and fifty mil, let alone half a billion. So the quality between the two sides are clear to see. The ambition of both clubs are also clear to see. Arteta doesn't dare utter the words Champions League football because the facts are that that is an unrealistic ambition to have for a club who can't seem to score a goal in the last in the first two uh, Premier League games. I think it's the first time in history I read somewhere that Arsenal have failed to register to score a single goal um, in the top flight. Worrying, worrying times at Arsenal. I don't know where we go from here. We've got City next. Before that, we face West Brom in the Carabao Cup. We'll probably see a very young team for that. Um, I don't know. I don't know what happens to us. I don't know what happens to Arteta. I think he is... His time is running... His time is, 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 is running up. I think the fans are becoming impatient. Um, I'm not sure where this Cronky uh, Out protest was. But I'm sure there will be somebody, somewhere, organising another for the next home game. So disappointments on all fronts. Um... And yeah, I think I'm going to leave it there because I think I've, I've waffled on long enough. It's almost come up to an hour. Uh, I want to say a massive thank you to everybody listening, everybody who's been showing love and support. Thank you so much. It's been humbling. It's been really encouraging as well to see so many of you interact with us, so many of you listening to us. Uh, if you did enjoy this video, please do give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe to the podcast as well via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever you're listening on, uh, whatever you're listening to, sorry whatever you're listening on to did that make sense no you know what i mean um if you want to interact with me and james if you want to have your say let us know give us any feedback with what you thought of the show uh you can find us on twitter so you can find me on twitter at gunner since 96 you can find james at james Payne afc and as always we will be back for another one um Hopefully, Arsenal, when Arsenal beat West Brom, will be back again to talk about the game, to give our reaction, our thoughts. Um, but until then, take care of yourselves and have a lovely week. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. <laughs>